I want to read you some thoughts that I, I read in an article not too long ago as I was preparing this sermon. They pertain to the scripture reading that we have for this morning. Here are the words. Listen closely to these because not only are they talking about congregations, but they will also be talking about individuals at a point in time. Jesus might be talking about a church that seems spirit-filled because the music is great. The worship is expressive. Emotions are high, yet it's not about Jesus or the spirit of Jesus. And not as much about worshiping the Lord as it is about the incredible experience of coming to church. Jesus might be talking about a church with a great choir, a friendly smile on every face, and an uplifting sermon every week. Yet, although it was an appearance of piety, it's more about the goodness of the people rather than the goodness of God. Jesus might be talking about people who pray for healing or do great ministry in their community in the name of Jesus, but it's not as much about the power of Jesus to heal and overcome evil as it is about what it is they are doing to make themselves look good and feel better. These are all good people. They even serve in the name of Jesus. But Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. They lost Jesus along the way, somehow, some way. Some might even call it counterfeit spirituality. Individually, these may be people who study their Bibles. They go to church. They take notes. Maybe they join groups and discuss important issues. They have good opinions and they understand the difference between right and wrong. Yet when it comes to applying the Bible to their own lives and then acting on it, they resist. They're convinced they should love their neighbor, but they treat people around them poorly. They believe in grace and forgiveness, but don't want to forgive the person who's hurt them in their life the most. They believe in prayer, but their prayers are superficial and impersonal. They hear what Jesus says about wealth, but their lives still revolve around everything in their name. They understand God's demands for righteousness, but they refuse to confront their own greatest sins. In other words, they may hear God's words being spoken to them, but they refuse to put them into action into their own lives. Those words are for everyone else, not them. They do just fine living like they want to live. They believe that in God's eyes... They're okay. Now, without raising hands, did any of those words hit home? I can safely say that my toes are pretty well crushed right now. Luke 14, 27, Jesus tells us that whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It's pretty cut and dry. Look at another verse or two here in Luke 14. Jesus gives us a great example here. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? Perhaps we hear these words and we think, well, I know people are going to make fun of me if I give my life to Jesus. I know I'll have to watch my language a little bit more. Maybe the places I hang out a little bit less than I used to frequent. Maybe even have to change some of the movies that I really enjoy watching by myself. 
And I know I'm going to have to start getting up on Sunday mornings and get to church even after a hard week. Maybe I'll have to give a little bit more frequently to the church instead of being a pew renter. I threw that last one in myself. Now, whether I actually made that term up or not, I don't know. But one day in a sermon it came to me and I've been using it ever since, okay? No one will ever think to give about, about, going, or about going to church in that kind of term or giving to the church in that kind of terminology, I don't think. But a pew renter is one who gives to church, maybe, when they're at church and they have a few extra dollars in their pocket to be able to spare. The Sundays they aren't there, well, that's just extra money for them for that week. There's no regular pattern of giving to the church to further Christ's kingdom here on earth. And, and as we talked about a few weeks ago, to store up treasures in heaven and not upon this earth. Yep, that's what I think most people would give as their alias when it comes to Jesus' words about carrying one's own cross. But what about those other things that I just listed a few minutes ago? Where do those come into play? Do they come into play? Do they even come into play as to what we think carrying our cross might look like? I want us to think back several months ago when we began this thing we call the Kingdom Manifesto. We started with such positive words there, the blessed are statements, didn't we? Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. Look at what we will inherit if we do these things. Basically, we're being told here that if we follow the commands of Jesus, these incentives that we are given, if we live counter to the way of the world, which is essentially what will separate us from the rest of the world, we will be blessed with something far greater than the world could ever give us. I mean, let's face it, as we said before, a lot of non-Christians can live these, uh, many of these Beatitudes, can they not? The blessed are statements, once again. Uh, many people can live meek lives. They, they can be peacemakers and, and so on. But to live counter to what the world dictates to us, even at times to demand that we live like, living counter to that thought, Living a life of total faith, we then are going to be bearing a cross in the way that Jesus talks about in Luke 14. If we cry, Lord, Lord, and then live a life steeped in faith, we will inherit the kingdom of God. We see words as these, such as in Matthew 5, verses 10 and 11. But do you see how far we've gone from Matthew 5 where we first started all of this up to the end of, near the end of Matthew 7. And yet the pattern follows through those three chapters. Live righteous. Be poor in spirit. Be humble, basically, okay? Be pure in heart. Be persecuted with, for righteousness' sake. Even go so far as to say rejoice and be glad in our suffering. Why? Because the pains of this world not just the inconveniences of this world, but the pains that this world can toss at you will be so temporary in comparison to what God has waiting for those who are and remain faithful. It's as simple as that. I read a story in preparing for this sermon, another one that might help you understand what's being said here. 
seems a tightrope walker was doing incredible feats all over France many years ago. Got so good at his art that he began to not only walk between buildings many stories up, but he began to walk this tightrope blindfolded. Even got to the point where he could go one way blindfolded and then return wheeling a wheelbarrow. Pretty good. There was a P.T. Barnum type of promoter here in the United States that had his doubts about this guy. So he sends a man basically a note saying that though he didn't believe he could pull it off, he would really like for him to come and, and try to walk across Niagara Falls on his tightrope, something that had never been done before. Well, I'd love to see Niagara Falls, the man answered in return. Never once did he say, well, yeah, it's a pretty big place. I'm not sure I can do that. But I'd love to try, at least anyway. If I go out, you know, I go out with a bang. He didn't say that at all. I'd love to see Niagara Falls. So he comes. Thousands are there to witness what he was about to do. And he does just what he said he would do. He goes across blindfolded and he comes back wheeling a wheelbarrow all the way across Niagara Falls. crowd goes wild. The man goes up to the P.T. Barnum wannabe and he says, Well, sir, now do you believe I can do it? Well, yeah, of course. I just saw you do it. You know, what else do you want from me? Well, then the tightrope walker says to the promoter, You get in the wheelbarrow. It's like crying, Lord, Lord, and not, then not be willing to live what you say you believe. Not living out your words in faith, in other words. How many of us would say, Lord, Lord, we believe. We cry out, Lord, Lord, but then we don't have enough faith to get in the wheelbarrow. Look at Luke 6, 46. Jesus asked this pointed question. This is a troubling question too. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Can you imagine having a conversation with Jesus and he comes up to you and he asks you that question? How would you answer? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? And then he gives us a formula in Luke 6 by which to live. I will show you what he, meaning God, is like who, he, who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. There's a formula there. These are not the easiest things to hear from Jesus, are they, though? They're words that if put in a slightly different way, they, they might be a little bit more palatable. Like, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but if when the day of judgment gets here, you tell me you tried your best, that'll be okay. Or, but only he who does the will of my Father. Pretty self-explanatory, is it not? It doesn't say anything in there, but if it's thinking good thoughts and doing good things for others and loving everybody and smile a lot, well, if, if, if it's worrying more about social welfare and of the world and, and not telling others about me, basically putting me on the back burner, maybe we can still slide you into heaven and nobody will say anything. Nowhere, nowhere do I see those words. There's an old saying that goes something along these lines. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. There's a lot of truth in that simple statement. We want to strengthen our faith, but life gets in the way. We want to strengthen our faith, but life gets tough at times. 
We want to strengthen our faith. We so desperately want to give our every care over to the Lord of Lords. But if we do that, we can't control the outcome. And our faith falters. Another statement I read recently, faith is an easy way of life if things are going smoothly. It's when the storms of life come. That's when the tough get going. But when the weak in spirit or when faith run away. But Elder, I'm giving it my best. It, it seems every way I turn, something stops me from living the kind of life you're talking about here. Now, while some may never prophesy in Christ's name, like Jesus talks about here, or cast out demons in Jesus' name, or even do mighty works. Maybe we just do plain works, as Jesus uh, doesn't really speak of here, but he, but he alludes to that. Most of us, hopefully all of us here this morning, or who are listening to our service this morning, we all truly want to live for Jesus, do we not? I think we could all agree on that one particular statement. We would love to simply give it up to God and let Him control our every move, decision, and activity. We don't want to be in that group of people that Jesus just talked about that will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. If anybody wants to be in that group, I want to talk to you afterwards and find out why. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, or in some translations, you workers of iniquity, evil. Understand, living for Jesus Christ, living in faith, as the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 1.17, the righteous will live by faith. It's not fire insurance. Living for Jesus is not a defense mechanism. As our passage says here this morning, it ain't even about prophesying or performing miracles. To that end, many people are not prophesying God's truth so much as they are trying to unlock the secret to the end of days. How many people have you heard about books read or books sold or, 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 or televangelists that talk about Stay tuned to the next several months. We're going to be talking about the end of days and we're going to give you clues like such and such is going to happen and this is going to happen. And by the time we get to that fourth blood moon or blood, yeah, blood moon, it's all just going to cave in on us. I don't know about y'all, but I'm still waiting on that one. Let me clue you in on what they're not telling you. Okay, I can make it very easy for you. They don't know. But well, we need to be ready every single day of our lives until that day comes. Now, what I did right there is I saved you all a whole lot of money and a whole lot of not wasted time, okay? I just gave you the end of it, all right? So you don't have to worry about listening to any of that stuff anymore. Also, we don't perform miracles. Televangelists or anyone else for that matter never perform the first healing or the first miracle. God did all of that. And so often that fact is lost. It's forgotten. And it becomes about the one who's doing the work right then and not about the one who created the work in the first place. There's an editor That's my editorial concerning our reading this morning. Moving on, our, our faith isn't about doing or saying the right things in front of the right people at the right time and living for ourselves all the rest of the time. It isn't about living faithfully so much as it is living faithfully. 
Okay? Two different words there. In other words, living out our faith in full. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Paul says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus, says, Lord, continue to live your lives for Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Did you hear that? Live in Him. You're rooted and built up in Him. Your faith is strengthened as you were taught. And then you overflow with thankfulness because you understand what He has given you. It's about righteous living. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean judging others. Or it doesn't mean being able to win Bible trivia contests, although knowledge does not hurt. It isn't about living by a series of laws. It's about reading, studying, praying, and learn what our faith, your faith, my faith, should look like. Righteous living is about getting into the wheelbarrow and trusting fully in God. It's about living a life fully steeped in faith, depending on God and not yourself. It's about taking no glory for yourself, but glorying in the cross all the day long. It's about seeking the kingdom of God first in all things and less in the treasures of the world as we talked about a few weeks ago. Basically, it's about less of me and more of Him. It's about surrendering our will, our life to the gospel. How do we do it? By building our faith and trust in God. It starts by building a good foundation first. I said a minute ago that it, it wasn't necessary to be a Bible trivia whiz. But we need to know our faith, okay? I, I've known Bible trivia champions, and that's fine. That's all well and good. Very admirable, all that kind of good stuff. That is, unless you start taking words and thoughts out of context and using them to do damage to others' faith. And then you've got fire in your hands and you don't know how to deal with it. We must be mindful with the knowledge that we have. Faith, in short, doesn't, doesn't solve all our problems. But it does give us the strength to get past those problems. Faith keeps us grounded in our sure foundation. And that sure foundation is Jesus Christ. Look again at the last few lines of our reading for today. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform miracles in your name? I will tell them, Jesus says, plainly depart from me. I never knew you. Saddest words we would ever hear. Conversely, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Those are the greatest, the sweetest words that could ever be said to us that we can hear with our own ears. Maybe we're not into prophesying so much or, or performing miraculous endings to difficult events. Maybe we're just average folks doing our best to get by. However, you must remember this. Our faith will mean everything to us. Your faith will not help your neighbor. It won't help your child. It won't help your parents. Your faith will help you. 
but your faith will also be able to help others because you have that faith in you and they see it for what it is, okay? So I ask you in closing, where are you in your faith walk today? Are you comfortable with your faith? Do you fully trust in the one who can show you the way? Or will you, are you still so certain that your way is the right way? Not all who cry, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. That begs the question, then who will? Only he or she who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's a pretty simple answer, isn't it? It won't matter how many times you were in church or what you did in the name of Jesus. Many people have done very bad things in the name of Jesus. It will all boil down to your motivation for living. It will all boil down to the relationship you had with your Father in heaven. It will all boil down to your faith and how it was applied in your life. So I ask you this morning, where then is your faith? Let's pray. Father, thank you. We praise you once again for your wondrous mercies, your grace, your love for us through your gift of your son, Jesus. If there was ever a group of people that didn't deserve it, Lord, it's us. And yet, your love is far greater than anything we could ever imagine. So continue to guide us, Father. Continue to pound it into us each and every day. We need to build our faith. We need to strengthen our faith. We need to look to you for all things. Guide us to that end, Lord. Grant us your wisdom that we may see for ourselves that the words that Jesus spoke so many years ago shoot straight to our hearts. Bless us to that end, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.